it's a Star Wars movie, but at the same time, it feels very different from the Star Wars movies we're familiar with. Shut up. It's all right, it's a spoiler-free zone. <laughs> I've not seen it yet. All right, then. <laughs> it's like a war movie set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, that's how she described it, and watching it, that's exactly how it felt. It was like, yeah, this isn't your run-of-the-mill Luke and Leia Star Wars. This is the nuts and bolts of the rebellion in action. The only things I've seen about it so far was that uh, Vox article saying this is the first Star Wars film that's a war film. Yeah. And then people going, oh, it's called Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I read the article and it seemed like a reasonable point to me because everyone knows it's really a Knights and Wizards fantasy just in space. Yeah. (laughs) Lord of the Rings in space. I was going to say with fewer volcanoes, but it's actually got about the same number of volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's all done fantastically well. There's some callbacks to like, the, the prequels. There's some call forwards to A New Hope, Jedi, uh, Empire. Now, it all fits, and it's just, yeah, it's just done really well. Now we're avoiding spoiler territory, because we're drifting close to. Well, yeah, but we can assume that by the time this airs, everyone is going to have seen it. Oh, I mean for talking to you, because <laughs> saying too much more is just going to spoil a lot of bits. It's and... true. I can't stab you in the eyes down the Skype camera. Exactly. Well, also, assuming that people will see the things they're desperately interested in within a year or two of release is kind of against the whole premise of our show. <laughs> true. Did everyone get the homework done this week? Because I'm assuming I was the last person to get the homework done. If it was one episode, then yes, I did. It was only one episode. Yeah, there was no extra <laughs> listening this time round. That's okay. And therefore, hopefully, Dan, no confusion as to what to watch. <laughs> I was concerned because there was a lot more talking in this than I expected. There's only 17 minutes of dialogue in a what, 40-odd minute episode. Yeah, true. There is a moment where it's like, premise starts now. With that, I guess it's time to cue the theme tune. Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. I always wait for you to actually start the theme tune. <laughs> I know you do. How long have we been doing this? I don't a year? know, but I always expect to hear the theme tune. <laughs> So instead of just sit in reverent silence for a moment and reflect on our mistakes. Oh, so many. Or in my case, try and get the file working so I can watch along. Mm, beer and sausage, not a good combination. Ah, I'm on a sugar-free Coca-Cola and Spam fritters. Did you just make the sound that the communicators used to make in the original series? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> the original series of what? Well, if you have to ask, you don't really know us. <laughs> right, that's Star Wars and Star Trek complete. All we, all we need is a Harry Potter reference and we're done. No, we do not need more Harry Potter references. Because all that does is lead to more swearing from me. Right, you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Remedial Nerding Series 3, Episode 9. This week it's Hush, which is Buffy Series 4, Episode 10. And for the first time we haven't actually had any extra homework to watch. I mean, not for the first time ever. 
I also think this is the first time we're watching an episode that I knew about the existence of before we started this. Yeah, this is definitely one of the ones you mentioned way back in episode one of series three of Remedial Nerding about there's an episode with no talking. It is a, a standout episode. Seeing that we've jumped ten episodes into series four, how dislocated did you find the story and the setting and where people are? Not really at all. This could have been season four, episode one for me. I mean, I made some assumptions about who people were. Not all of them correct, as it turned out later in the episode. Well, I did go through the Wikipedia article, and I've made like a one paragraph and a short paragraph at that summary of episodes one to nine. So it goes along the lines of Buffy and Willow are at college. At some point, Spike turns up again, having been dumped by Drew. Oz meets another werewolf and skips town after Willow bumps in on them naked together. Spike's captured by something called The Initiative... Uh, which is a shady government organisation. Buffy's kind of starting to fancy a guy called Riley, who's one of the post-grad teaching assistants. And Xander and Anya are kind of getting it on. And that's about it from the first nine episodes from the summaries that I could really pick out. I think there was a lot of establishing episodes and fleshing out of some of the new characters and new situations. And this is college. Yeah, I think a lot of it was dealing with the transition to college. Should we hit play? Let's do so. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, for an episode I was excited to um, see because of the total eschewing of dialogue. It starts with a long speech that I didn't really follow. The speech about language and communication. I, I like the fact that her opening speech to the class is seems to essentially be the uh, the drive that Josh Whedon had when writing the episode and the difference between language and communication and that they're not they don't have to be the same thing could be and the whole cold open makes well i thought made extremely little sense and i thought someone's definitely getting fired for this classroom environment (laughs) (laughs) it was around about the point they started dry humping on the table i thought yeah this is gonna be dream i thought it was just incredibly unprofessional educational establishment but yeah as it turns out it's a dream sequence one of two dream sequences in this episode yeah with the weird little girl singing in the background now. Hmm. Oh wait, maybe it's the same dream sequence then. I don't remember a second dream sequence. Oh well, we'll find out. We're in the, the portion of the episode that is The Shining now. <laughs> I thought that was meant to be Baby Buffy then. I don't know if I was alone in that supposition. No, I, I thought that may have been Baby Buffy, but... And it turns out that Buffy was actually asleep where she started the episode, sat next to Willow in the auditorium. I have to say, I've fallen asleep in lectures before. Don't think I ever learnt anything prophetic, though. <laughs> All I really learnt from falling asleep in lectures is that you shouldn't leave your fountain pen on the table in front of you for your course mate to open and pour the ink all over the top of your head. No. That was that was a bad day. That was an unforced error. Or a bad square on the prisoner's dilemma. I'm not sure which. Yeah, the first mentioned introduction that we've had, at least, of Willow joining the Wicker group. Yeah, the super crap wicker group, which is basically like a shit version of the Women's Institute. <laughs> See, I've been wondering when this was going to come. They had to have a scene like it um, ever since they started using the word wicker to mean witchcraft except real. Because it also has a meaning which is like um, Quakerism, but for women, basically. Yeah, the kind of three-pointed triangle of the Women's Institute, Alistair Crowley, and shops that sell only crystals and inspirational slogans painted on driftwood. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all extremely well-meaning, but it is absolutely not what the scriptwriters intended when they started using the word wicker. No. I know Buffy's quizzing him. Well, she's quizzing him as he went in for full-on smooch and she was leaning in towards it and then backed off and went, what papers? Papers. Oh yeah, there's a scene between, what was his name, Riley? Wiley? 
Wesley? Riley. 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 He is actually quite an important character in the series. Because I slightly misheard it at first, I for a moment thought he was the same character as Wesley, who just drastically changed his appearance and demeanour. <laughs> and accent. Once again, we've had the, the title sequence altered a little bit. We've seen from season three and I'm guessing season four. You say about The Shining, Nathan, there's a bit with Giles in the opening credits holding a chainsaw. Do you want to know a film I actually haven't seen? The Do you Shining. Want to know a film that I've not seen either. <laughs> nope, haven't seen oh The Shining. All everything I know about The Shining is based on the Simpsons parody, basically. The Shining. Also, that one documentary about people who are convinced that Kubrick filmed the moon landing. Is Giles still doing some freelance watching there? I think early in season four, he's reinstated as Buffy's watcher. I think from reading the wiki the other day. We also find out that it's got a housemate Spike who's now complaining that they've run out of Weetabix. Yeah, that that was one of my um, leaps of logic from having missed episodes that turned out to not be correct. I thought Charles and Spike were just permanent roommates now. <laughs> For some reason, they just got a house together. I did find this whole scene adorable. This whole scene is very British. It was. Spike's also eating like biscuits and peanut butter. Peanut butter. And yeah, you get the impression not doing the dishes and putting the toilet roll on the wrong way around. Yeah. <laughs> not to raise more vampire biology questions. I'm, I'm going to go with he doesn't need to eat, he just likes to. But then there is the expulsion of said food matter. <laughs> super awkward conversation. Oh, you care about is lots of orgasms. Oh yeah, we've just arriving in scene Xander wearing his traditional extremely bright red jumper <laughs> and the girl whose name I can't remember, who's a thousand years old. Anya. Anya. Who's like an angry female commander data. <laughs> well, as blunt as a rusty <laughs> razor blade. I was slightly confused by the necessity of Giles' like, booty call in this episode. I think it must be like humanising for Giles. Pretty sure it's the only episode that his lady friend's in. Is that right? I thought I assumed that she'd been established previously. No, yeah. from reading about it, I think she's on the phone at the end of one other episode, and that's about it. Yeah, so is Spike basically in Vampire Witness Protection now? I, I think so. Because for some reason, he's, I mean, I presume the real reason is that audiences loved him. Basically, yeah. It also turns out the Wicker Group is super bitchy. Well, Americans start college a year sooner than we start university, so these people are, what, 19, 20, 18, possibly? Well, we start uni at 18, so they must be 17. Oh, right, okay then. So still before my um, cutoff of 25 when people become actual people. <laughs> they're still in the having pointless arguments phase. But they're not drunk and pointless arguments because they still can't drink till they're 21. Oh yeah, that does cast the whole portion of that life in a very strange light for us. Yeah, uni without booze would be a very strange experience. There's been quite a change with Willow since the... Mm. Well, certainly since the beginning. Kind of more so in terms of her personality than any of the other characters. She's kind of coming to her own a lot more. Yeah, that's true. She does seem to be one of those people who really blooms once they get away from high school. Yeah, she's got a, a different sort of air of confidence about her. I'm kind of curious to go back and watch some of the earlier series, you know, from two or three years ago to see if Alison Hannigan was always taller than every other female cast member. Or maybe it's just that Cordelia's not around to be taller anymore. Yeah, I do think she's got a good few inches on Buffy there. She's also drinking virgin cola. See, that made me think cola that doesn't have alcohol in it, but you probably mean the brand. Uh, the brand, yeah. So now we've gone to the, the Institute, this is possibly one of the bits that would have been a bit confusing for you. I slightly regretted that we've already used the term OFBI for the Watchers Council. <laughs> OCIA. Yeah, there you go. The occult CIA, insofar as they've got loads of people in white coats adjusting dials behind them while they themselves walk around in green tank tops. <laughs> tank tops and camo fatigues. I'm pretty sure there is someone somewhere in a lab inside this building giving LSD to a demon. <laughs> 
<laughs> asking him to then listen in on Russian communications. <laughs> Xander <laughs> tying Spike to the chair so that he can't bite him in his sleep. It feels a bit um, token, because I'm presuming he could use his vampire super strength to escape from it, or turn into a bat or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've established that they don't turn into bats in this version of uh, vampirism. This universe. I think that's an offensive stereotype, yeah. It's like a vampirist. I think Giles isn't doing particularly well on his watchering duties in this one, because normally he's right on top of the cryptic clues. Uh, I'm thinking he's distracted with his from overseas booty call. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she's she's only there for one thing. He gets that slideshow put together, though. Who comes True. to that later, I suppose. <laughs> Was I the only one that sat watched this episode and thought, this episode would not work in 2016? Yeah, because everyone would just get their phone out and start WhatsApping each other. That's it. Well, yeah, a couple of people were doing stuff like that. But yeah, certainly, I did also think that there's been a, a sharp shift in the balance of how much communication we do by words as opposed to text. I mean, especially for Buffy and Angel, uh, Buffy and Angel, Buffy and Willow, where they're in their dorm room. Surely they've got a pad of paper and pens and they could just start writing to each other. Mm. Just take a big A4 ring binder and start writing to everyone. One of the OCI people does start doing text to speech. Yeah, but the, the special guest appearance of Stephen Hawking. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Hawking. There's no S. Is there not? I'd keep no. An S. Unless it's his, in which case it's apostrophe S. Well, it's not exactly Stephen Hawking's voice. It's the voice you get in terrible Unity games for sale on Steam for 99 cents. Isn't it like Microsoft Bill or something? Yeah, it could well be. Well, Microsoft were going to withdraw support for it, but Stephen Hawking gave him a chunk of money and they went, OK, you can keep it because it's your voice. <laughs> Text-to-speech has got a lot better now. What we're saying is Professor Hawking now owns that sound. Well, I don't know, but it's more that Microsoft is still supporting it and updating it for him. So I was thinking with Buffy now, you know, having breathed out the fog of her voice, going to the bathroom and brushing her teeth. Oh yeah, we're like 15 minutes in and we've reached the turning point. The hush section. It's very Disney-esque. Well, how long do you go in a day without actually talking to anyone if you don't happen to see anyone first thing in the morning? You go quite a while. Well, my first job of the day is always waking someone up, so not very long in my case. <laughs> I'd, I'd be up for probably hour and a half, two hours before I spoke to anyone. Yeah, same here. And one thing I was thinking all through this, so this is Buffy and Willow, um, trying to work out if they if they just can't hear or if they can't speak. Yeah, I thought no one seems very scientific about it. Yeah. Well, Willow, Willow's first reaction was, oh my God, I've gone deaf. And then Buffy's retort was, no, no, we've lost our voice. Yeah, no one like rings any bells or anything. Now, because there's no speech... The music's really, really obvious, but I'm just wondering if this is a bit like the Carbonite scene from Empire Strikes Back, in that if you watch that without the music, it doesn't have any of the same sort of emotional impact. Well, I'm watching it without music at the minute, and for the second time I've ever seen it, and it's uh, slightly more mime-like than I remember. <laughs> yeah, everything is still works. slightly over-exaggerated, but that might be intentional. Well, for that matter, it could be intentional within the fiction, in that people probably are acting up. Not acting up, what's the word? Playing up gestures. Oh yes, it turns out the OCIA is directly underneath the college. Convenient for his cover job, I suppose. Oh yeah, so at least Agent Mulder has thought to bring a pen and paper. He's the first one we've seen do that. But they have gone into the lift that uses voice recognition. Yes. To not to not gas you. <laughs> Again, that seems like on the a bit of overzealousness on the part of the security designer. I, I like the fact that when he's trying to get him to hurry up and put the override code, and he writes "come on" twice. Yeah, and, and it doesn't even tap him. him on the yeah to the back of his head, so he can't see it. Uh, silent funnies. 
So Willow did at least meet one other person in Wicker Group who, when she said, so we do, do we do spells or what? And everyone else went, no, we're the other kind of Wicker. This one other person went, wait, what? Those stereotypes are bad. <laughs> Don't bring your negative energy here. But it did flag out Tara as going, oh, there's someone else that is actually interested in the actual magic. Oh, was that her name? I didn't actually catch it. I'm not sure she was actually introduced yet. Yeah, they did talk to her about the call. Oh, yeah, they did. They put her down, didn't they? Because she kind of went to go and speak. Yeah, people freaked out a lot more about the voicelessness than I think I would. But they also freaked out a lot less about the grisly murders than I think I would. Spoiler alert for later in the episode. Or a lot of people stood there all reading the Book of Revelations together. Well, I guess this is America, but still. The guy with the idea of the whiteboard message boards to hang around your neck was quite clever. I liked the uh, character decision of having Willow take off her board and laboriously write, hi Giles. <laughs> yeah. After everyone else has done that, oh hi, yeah, you also can't talk. Nod and smile. Xander wearing a bright blue jumper today. <laughs> I don't know if we, this is being revealed yet. The, the cover story is laryngitis outbreak, so it's this radius around the bell tower, I guess, which is where villains always like to hang out. In the centre of towns. Villains and French orphans. In abandoned bell towers. Yeah. It's actually a little bit Midwich Cuckoos, isn't it? Oh, you've completely lost me with that one. Not seeing Midwich Cuckoos? No. Nathan? I'm familiar with the story, but I haven't seen the film. Oh, there's at least two different versions of the film. I've seen them both. I but see. it's, a, it's a John Wyndham short, short story about aliens. But everyone, in the, everyone within a certain radius of this village, Midwich, just passes out. And no one can work out why. And if you step over some invisible line, that's it, you pass out too. Yeah, so to to spoil the... Because it's the gentleman, isn't it? The antagonists in yeah. this. Their plan, or their modus operandi, is steal everyone in town's voice because, for some reason, voices cause their heads to explode in hilarious Mars Attacks style. <laughs> and then, I guess, murder people and tell you they hit the seven quest items they need to advance their plot. Which seven hearts. It doesn't give you any specifics on how they're selecting hearts, but they don't seem to just want any hearts. They seem to be very picky and choosy. Yeah, maybe they just enjoy their work, I suppose. Well, they're certainly grinning enough about it while they're doing it. Yeah. Ah, shiny and chrome. And they've also mastered anti-gravity quite well. Oh yeah, so they move around by just kind of, um, well, I presume in reality, being on um, a camera dolly or something. Or a Segway. Just kind of pushed across scene, yeah. But I found that very effective, actually, that they just kind of glide. And then they've got their weird minions that are kind of look like they're all a bit stitched up and just run around flailing their arms randomly. Yeah, I didn't like them so much. Didn't think they were so good. Partly because I think because they seemed a bit like they might be wearing straight jackets and be like a Halloween costume of a crazy person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, get the uh, the non-verbal communication between Riley and Buffy. They're keeping up international relations. Yes. I'd say I feel if I was in the police force in a quiet American town that had a bell tower that was boarded up windows. I just send someone to check in there every two or three days. <laughs> right, see if there's any creepy stuff or loads of newspaper cuttings about murders pinned to the wall. Yeah, my solution for this problem was can we like send an email to the next town over and send them tell them to send someone who's still got their voice <laughs> on a bus or something. Yeah, but they've always said on the T V broadcast that the government aren't letting anyone in. Yeah. That seems like a, a mistake, I guess is what I'm saying. I just think their uh, strategy would have worked better in an era when taking like three days to get from the nearest village to, to town. Giles' booty call on a late night fridge raid. I was reasonably convinced at this point that she was going to get death killed in front of us. Yeah. Given that she's gone to the window and sees them right outside. It did seem plausible. And she'd just been introduced. It's like, well, someone that's just been introduced could definitely be killed off without too much recrimination. 
So she might as well have been wearing a red shirt. Although that would be quite harsh on Giles, who's already had one love interest brutally killed. <laughs> How to brutalise your characters. <laughs> Kill everyone they love. I'm pretty sure Joss Whedon wouldn't do anything like that. I mean, you kind of touched <laughs> on it before, Nathan, the way they do these murders. So they just have their weird straight-jacketed minions hold people down whilst they get a scalpel and cut your heart out of your chest because you can't scream because you've got no voice. Yeah, it was pretty uh, unsettling. I've not been uh, that kind about some of the, the monsters in this programme, but um, yeah, I found these guys very effective. It's quite, I guess it's probably rooted in the same thing as the Nightmare or the Old Hag in olden times or alien abduction is now in that it's the kind of fear that comes from sleep paralysis. Yeah. I presume there's some greater reason behind them wanting specifically hearts as opposed to just any heart like you were saying because I'm pretty sure you can just buy hearts. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you could go to your butchers and just buy them by the, by the kilo. I didn't notice that the, the sign one of the posters in the guy's room has just got like red meat <laughs> across yeah. it. I think it was a band poster but I just saw that as well. Ah, shiny and chrome. For people who aren't watching and have no idea why Dan keeps saying that. They have very shiny and chrome teeth. Yeah, they've got yeah metallic paint on their teeth. Go, go back and watch uh, Mad Max. Mad Max Fury Road. That's it. They do, yeah, they do look like some a couple of the war boys. Slightly more serene and maniacal and less frenetic. Yeah, war boys who have aged gracefully, which is probably not something that war boys typically do. I'd say they mean the... The makeup and costume design for the gentleman is brilliant. Yeah, in a way, I'm surprised they haven't used it before. It's simple but super effective. I'm pretty sure in this group shot, the one on the like the back right as you look at him, I'm pretty sure he was a Goomba from the Mario movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've got very very wide mouths. The back couple. I'm not ashamed to say that I haven't seen the Mario movie. <gasps> it is delightfully awful. <laughs> But Bob Hoskins is really good. I'd remove the clarification delightfully from that sentence. <laughs> the description I've heard was dementedly awful. <laughs> I love that Giles has ye old big book of fairy tales on his shelf. Amongst all these other occult books. <laughs> and I love that he plays the like the theme tune from Jonathan Creek during his presentation. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this piece has a proper name, but it's rather the, uh, the theme tune to Jonathan Creek. You know what I had in my notes? It's the Dance Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns, written in 1874 in order to be the theme tune for Jonathan Creek. But yeah, he's putting this music on in order to make his, I say slideshow, I mean it's Transparencies and Marker Pen, which probably also means this is a pre-2016 piece of work. Or maybe Giles just never worked out how to use PowerPoint, I don't know. (laughs) Jellyford didn't have time to teach him how to use PowerPoint. (laughs) I love how Willow's like, oh, I know they want hearts, and Santa's like, boobs? They want boobs? That made me chuckle so much, that bit. It's the how do I kill, how do we kill them question that he comes up next, and everyone's amusement at Buffy's hand gestures. Yeah, I thought that was pretty obvious that she meant stake them, not jerk them off. <laughs> Although it is, like, aimed towards her crotch. He's reached into the bag and put out the stake. I think even Giles was a little worried then. This is probably one of the um, tricky scenes to work with when you're working on the concept because pretty much every Buffy episode does have a exposition scene where Giles does his combination M and Q briefing. <laughs> M and Q, I like it. I guess he doesn't do very much queuing; it's mostly Ming. <laughs> Buffy questioning Giles' artistic talent and the size of her hips. <laughs> he should have got his lady friend to do the drawings. And he's just sat there eating popcorn throughout this entire thing. 
the OCIA gearing up. The non-military pretense has faded now. So they're patrolling, and Buffy is also under instructions to patrol. I guess mostly so that she can drive the plot forward, although it's unclear to me what she's meant to achieve, really. I guess maybe there's just still normal vampires around in addition to the monster of the week. I guess she's there to just try and kind of confront them and then maybe protect and save anyone they try and cut the heart out of. Yeah, I suppose so. We've been already established in the transparency slideshow that she can't be staked, but I guess it can still be kicked. I would like to know how Willow Rosenberg in room 214 in Stevenson ended up on the front page of that student directory. Well, it's spiral bound. Maybe it's just got that heading on every page. (laughs) It's just like folded over. Or maybe there's only 65 students in this college. (laughs) The rest of that book is just blank. Tara now being chased. Did they decide that Tara's heart was worth taking? Or just because she was there and now we'll take it anyway? Yeah, I'm not sure if that was just a, uh, a choice of because a choice of one, you're the one that's there. Yeah, there's a lot we don't know, but I guess it doesn't... Um, it, well, it didn't interfere with my enjoyment particularly hmm. of the episode. It certainly wasn't what I was thinking at the time of watching it. It's only kind of yeah. after the fact that I've thought that. And I'm pretty sure that chasing would have been far more effective if the, the two floating gentlemen hadn't been stood in front of their crazy arm-flailing counterparts and had just let them loose to go catch her. <laughs> Could be, but maybe it's like a, a goose with foie gras. You want to get them really frightened first. <laughs> really just on a uh, let's just go fuck with her for a little bit yeah so we also see Riley getting into some shenanigans. I thought he had a stake gun at first but it seems to shoot electricity later I thought it was a stake gun but it does just seem to be like a taser rifle yeah some sort of long range cattle prod so I found that a bit odd last time we saw Tara hammering on the door yeah there's a lot of fake outs with that isn't it and it's like Willow inside it's like oh is that where Willow is then the door opens and no it's one of the gentlemen holding a heart inside and Willow's actually around the corner well because we knew from the start that she was aiming to go towards where Willow was there was a scene earlier where she hammered on a door and then someone woke up and it wasn't Willow they faked her at least twice on that yeah so Riley did actually have some sense to go and check out the uh, the creepy abandoned clock tower yeah after he saw some some shadows up there did you see Buffy jump through the boarded up window that was three feet away from an open the door? The open door, yeah. Yes, I did, and I did, thought that was delightful. I like to, I, it's my personal headcanon that she just makes a conscious choice to leap through windows whenever possible. Hashtag must look badass. Strangely enough, there is a Peppa Pig episode in which it become, is established as canon that Father Christmas comes down chimneys because he's just never heard of doors. <laughs> <laughs> so he's leaving and says, why are all your houses so hard to get in and out of? Cut from fight scene back to Giles. Oh yeah, and another little set piece of let's do a scene with no dialogue in it. Spike drinking a mug of blood out the fridge. Yeah, and therefore developing monster face. And also going to pick something up off the floor at a weird angle. Whilst Anya is sleeping on the sofa next to him, Rosanna coming from behind, seeing Anya's head, and then Spike lifting his head up with monster face and blood round his lips. And Xander just full on goes for it. <laughs> Just smashing Spike in the face. The Spike's just pointing at Anya. <laughs> the little <laughs> apologetic look of, ah, sorry. Half shrug look over shoulder, sorry. And I love the little... Uh, yeah, I hadn't noticed that hand gesture before. I'd noticed the kind of the cheeky nod over her shoulder from Anya, but then not the really, really unsubtle hand gesture that followed it. Yeah, so that whole little scene was 
I think it was sold because they're they're all good actors and they were able to put in, as you say, just the little looks that sell it. Because without that, it would seem quite drama school exercise, I think. Yeah. So back to the chase scene with Tara and Willow. Willow's sprained her ankle from the fall. Then they're hidden downstairs in the laundry, it looks like. Yeah, they're in the laundrette. And trying to move a drinks machine with her mind, but only getting a little rumble. See, what the, what appears to have happened here, though, the, the magic that she's done before has all been incantation and frog's legs and stuff like that. This is the force. Straight up the force. She's just using her mind to move it. She has done it before, though. In the graduation episode when she spiked the vampire with the floating pencil from behind. True. I didn't notice that. And she did say earlier in this episode that she would like to move, I'd like to do something more than just levitate pencils with her mind. So she's been obviously trying to do more and expand her power. I was going to say Matilda, but yeah, it is basically the ice cave on Hoth that they're doing at the minute, except they're trying to barricade mm-hmm. it all with it. <laughs> I've now realised that it is an absolute certainty that somewhere on the internet is a picture of Buffy holding a lightsaber. There's just no way that hasn't been drawn. Let's have a look. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> How many results in the Google search? Oh, well, lots. The number of, for a Google image search of Buffy lightsaber, the number that come up with Buffy and the lightsaber is three. Oh, okay. But there's loads of other stuff of just Buffy and just lightsabers. Yeah. One including Patrick Stewart, which is a bit odd. (laughs) We're getting close to the climax now, and Buffy's at the top of the clock tower and had been captured by some of the crazy henchmen, and one of the gentlemen was coming for a heart before getting tased by Riley. Yeah, I mean, along with the barricading the door scene that we just had, this is getting quite zombie filmish mm-hmm. in that it's, um, yeah, kind of balletic kung fu that's being slowly overwhelmed by sheer numbers. I mean, Buffy got straight up stabbed in this episode. Yeah, but she's got mutant healing factor. Right before she's trying to signal to Riley to smash the box on the table, and he smashes one of the jars with the hearts in it, and it looks really proud, and Buffy's just like, oh, for fuck's no. sake. Oh, yeah, so he smashes the box... Everyone gets their voices back. Buffy starts screaming and goes on for like 12 seconds or something. Just long enough for you to think, are they going to do the Mars Attacks head explodes effect? Before, yes, they do. And boom, pay out. Therefore fulfilling my criteria of I love Buffy the best when it knows it's being stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And is not ashamed of it. And Normalcy Field is restored. Willow and Tara deciding that they're going to go full on witchcraft. I feel like I recognise this actress, but I don't know if I actually do. No, I'm not sure what else she's been in. Let's have a look. According to a Wikipedia entry, this is her best known Oof. role. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe she decided she'd want to do something other than acting, because from this performance, I would have thought she'd have an ongoing career. I mean, not that I'm the greatest judge of actors, but it seemed like she did a better job than, for example, the guy who plays Xander. Now that you've told me that this um, Giles' lady friend is not a recurring character, this scene at the end is basically them saying... Here's why she might not turn up again anymore. Yeah. yeah. Much like Dr. Watson's first girlfriend in the Sherlock season with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, she's like, oh, this is the life you lead. That's super crazy, yo. <laughs> Do not want adventures, thanks. Would you like to know something I've not seen? You've not seen any of the Sherlocks? No, not the Benedict Cumberscotch ones. I've, I've not watched any of the BBC Sherlocks. You haven't? No. Elementary on Sky One, which is... Sherlock Holmes in New York with uh, Lucy Liu as Dr. Joan Watson. Absolutely brilliant. I don't know, I'm not convinced. I've not seen any of it, but just from that premise, it's like, <laughs> well, sounds more like America trying to steal some goddamn British history. 
My understanding is that Elementary was made after the BBC refused to license Sherlock to that channel. <laughs> like, okay, fine, we'll make our own with strippers and blackjack. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So we've got Buffy and Riley in the room, still not talking to each other. Yeah, I like them to first sit down and they go, we need to talk. And Buffy's like, yeah, we should talk. And then there's just nothing but uncomfortableness and silence. Coming at the end of this particular episode, I wanted there to be a sad trombone sound effect. Well, I really enjoyed that episode. I did watch right to the er er just to see if the zombie had changed, but he hadn't. Yeah, so did I, actually. I guess it wouldn't have been the most immediately dramatic effect if it had just gone past (laughs) silently. (laughs) I did enjoy Hush. I I thought it was a, a brilliant little episode that was done really well. It had some good peril and some interesting monsters and like you said Nathan it was obviously it wasn't taking itself too seriously with it either. Yeah I think it was a a very effective episode of a TV show that I would have watched and enjoyed. But I can also see it having this second life of being assigned to lots of filmmaking courses like yeah your homework this week is to go away and watch this and then not put so many words in your screenplays. (laughs) Yeah I can see that. Uh, yeah, I think it's a temptation for all scriptwriters, and probably Joss Whedon in particular, because it seems like he is someone who likes words. So just have people say things all the time. Yeah, I, overall, I enjoyed that episode. I can definitely see why that ended up on a you know, best 15 episodes of Buffy list. Hmm. Even as a, a jump, as we're doing it from season to season, episode to episode, it gives you enough of a view and introduction to the newer characters and where people's lives are at that moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was fairly self-contained in that regard. It's, um, I guess it's a tension when you're making a show for TV and you don't know if people are going to watch every episode or just dip in and out. Whether you go down the kind of um, lost route where you need to watch every week to know what anything is referring to and even then <laughs> you have you no to pay idea. attention. Yeah. Well, maybe Lost was a bad example because it never paid off. But yeah. <laughs> I think that's a big difference between TV shows from up and well, up until about two thousand. Sort of, you can see it change as Buffy goes on a bit to modern TV shows. Modern TV shows are not—they're not serials. They are one continuous story throughout the series, far more so than they ever used to be. That's probably true. I, I actually read someone claiming that um, Deep Space Nine is the the turning point in that trend. <laughs> Well, I've made. I'm pretty sure I've made that claim, possibly even on this podcast. Quite possibly. Maybe that's what I'm referring to. I'm just remembering you telling me that on air. Yeah, the difference with Next Generation is until the the end, it was very much one episode, one episode, one episode, with the occasional bit of character development. Whereas Do Space Nine, it had that sort of seven series arc. I think the first one that did it actually was Babylon Five, because mm. that was from yeah, the the early '90s, and that had a very definite story arc over the five series. I mean, Buffy does have the the series to series and the internal series story arcs with these self-contained episodes that don't seem to really add anything to the overarching story in a big way, but little details and a slight deviation into let's do something different other than the big story for this one. Let's take a break. Do they ever have episodes that are completely, I was going to say, do they ever have episodes that are completely uncanon? But of course they do. I've watched one of them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we watched one last week I was actually thinking of um, Holodeck episodes as an example But yeah, alternate <laughs> wish dimensions will do I'm not sure, I was looking through the episode list for series 4 And I was like, oh, I don't remember these as much 
I remember some of them, and I remember the the ultimate premise of this series with the initiative. But it's like it's not like series two and three was like, yeah, remember that episode, remember that episode. This one, no, not so much. Come to think of it, the initiative and their aesthetics is probably partly why I said it was like a zombie film earlier, because the morally ambiguous, all powerful military is a a common trope in zombie films. Yeah, that's true. I've not seen Cabin in the Woods, but I've heard people talking about it and the, the the lab behind that with the monsters and things. And it sounds like that is either inspiration for the initiative or that was the inspiration for that was taken from the initiative. It seems like the, the two could almost exist in the same universe. I've not seen Cabin in the Woods. In fact, I don't know anything about it. It's on the DVD shelf. I don't need to sit and watch it. I haven't seen it, but I know the spoilers. <laughs> I read an article about it. I thought to myself, I'm probably not going to watch this. I'll hear what they've got to say about it. I'll, I'll watch it and tell you what I think. <laughs> but for Paul's benefit, it's a completely normal horror film with absolutely no twists. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if we've just about covered Hush, shall we put this one to bed? Yeah, definitely. So next up is Restless, Series 4, Episode 22 of Buffy. So that's it. Two episodes from this series. However, I've had a bit of a look through. This is when I realised I didn't quite recognise all the episodes so much. But from the summaries, I've got two bits of extra watching for you guys. Okay. First one is episode 14, Goodbye Iowa. And the other one is episode 21, Primeval. Now, it's not actually a two-parter. But from the description, episode 22 that we're actually going to talk about next time, it deals with the direct aftermath of episode 21. So I think it'd still be worth watching both, yeah. both bits. It's a good shout I'm just trying to work out what Goodbye Iowa could be now. <laughs> that's not Wizard of Oz related, is it? Because that was not Iowa. No, that was Kansas. No, that, was, that was Kansas. Kansas, that's it. Yeah. Is it Harry Potter related? So I'm, I'm yet to get a Harry Potter reference in today. Don't think so. Well, if it's Iowa, it would be um, Break Bills or somewhere. I've got a feeling that's a different franchise because you're looking at Blue Blankly. Invermorny, maybe? Invermorny. That's, that's the one. Where's Break Bills, then? Invermorny being... The American school for witches and wizards. Sorry, was that that your attempt at Harry Potter reference? Uh, that's me and Nathan just talking while you're busy. That's Break right. Break is from The Magicians by Lev Grossman, which is um, a cross between Harry Potter and Biker Grove. <laughs> <laughs> Except set in Connecticut. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> Someone's getting really angry about my description there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> there are bigger things for people to get angry about on the internet. Like people buying people puppies for Christmas and the like. Are you coming to bed? No, someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> Caps lock on. And what do we say to that, Dan? We should advise all our listeners to just Google XKCD. Oh, I just set you up for a goodbye internet there, Dan, and you missed it. That's it. That's I the only time it. that will ever happen. Goodbye internet only works when it's unwanted. <laughs> Caps lock on. Goodbye internet. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.